Let us look to the Lord together in prayer. Today, our great God, we come to weighty matters of discipleship, where your word cuts straight through and straight across our culture. Every one of us is more immersed in the ways of the world and the flesh than we know, more immersed in the thoughts and expectations of this culture. So speak to us, we pray, with clarity and power, pierce through the mists of our own misunderstanding and the darkness that we were raised in, our God and our Creator, you who know our heart far better than we know ourselves. We pray for ears to hear today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I had a trick I would do sometimes when I was teaching in seminary and I was saying something important and I saw the pen stop. I would just stop and say to myself, you know, this would make a good test question. And the pens would come back up and they'd start writing again. So I want to say, if you think of the introduction to a sermon as like the the credits in a movie that used to start movies years ago. It's not that. The, the introduction today is very much part of the sermon. And first we begin by a retrospective. And, and I want to say before I do, uh, this sermon is, is um, like and unlike a story you've heard before about my sermons. Sometimes I'll launch into a sermon and, and it's just so packed that I decide, you know, this would make two good sermons. Well, that's what happened this time. And I started to make two sermons and I thought, you know what? I'm still trying to do too much in two sermons. It really should be a a series. So what I'll do instead is I will just hit across the highlights and give you what is meant as a simple outline of how to approach this issue biblically. The outline is simple. (laughs) The doing is not simple. So don't imagine that I think by saying, you know, I'm going to give you four R's and you're going to go out here and... You got this, you know, just like I got this. Well, you probably will have this just like I have this, which is to say it's a lifelong battle. So our goal is simple, but the doing is not simple. What is the goal of the Christian life? We start this life confessing that Jesus is Lord, and then what do we do for the rest of our Christian lives? Try to live that way. Try to work out that confession in our lives. That's simply said, and it's a simple objective. It's just the doing of it is made hard by our flesh and by remaining corruption. So by way of retrospective on on what we've been looking at, faith and emotion are not the same. Faith is not a feeling. Faith can cause feelings, but faith is not a feeling. Faith and emotion are not the same. Saving biblical faith focuses on God's word and the truth that we learn in that word. It's all about that. We're presented with an unchanging and non-negotiable contract, content, pardon me, God's word. It, it doesn't change. And when God speaks to us, he's not opening a negotiation. He's presenting us with his truth. The issue is not whether that truth is true, whether it will stay the same. The issue is how will we respond? And so in biblical saving faith, there's absolutely nothing creative or constructive. That is a deceptively deep thing to say, and of course I'm quoting a theologian when I say it, uh, Burkauer. There is nothing constructive or creative about faith. I don't bring anything to it. God speaks his word to me, and I either respond by accepting it and bowing to it or rejecting it. So biblical faith is all about God's word. Emotions are about anything. They can be about anything or nothing. They can be uh, provoked by something real and standing right in front of us, something imaginary and feared, or something that's a delusion altogether. 
that it turns out there's no basis in fact, right? We just saw that last week. So you see, faith and emotions are very, very different things. Now, emotion is part of how God made us, we said, but emotion is disordered by the fall. So can emotion be godly? Absolutely. How do you tell if emotion is godly? By whether it accords with God's word. By whether it promotes and follows uh, the glorification of God and the obedience of his word. So godly emotions spring from the word of God. They reflect the word of God. They serve the word of God and faith in the word of God. In an unfallen world, sinless people would only have godly emotions. In an unfallen world with unfallen people, sinless people, all of their emotions would be godly emotions. All of their emotions, remember this is part of the sermon, all of their emotions would reflect and serve God's word in an unfallen world with sinful people. Are we in that world? Are we those people? No. (laughs) So that being the case, emotions don't serve God necessarily. They don't serve God's truth necessarily. So in a fallen world with fallen people, their emotions are broken. In a fallen world with saved people, their emotions, our emotions, should serve the word of God, must be made to serve the word of God, but discipling them is part of our Christian growth. Dealing with our emotions under the lordship of Christ is part of our Christian growth, you see. Redeemed people now struggle to bring everything in us under the word of God, and our emotions are included. Now, redeemed people in a restored world, one day our emotions will all serve God's truth. Don't you long for that day? Don't you long for that day? I can't tell you how many times I've expressed that in prayer. I long for the day when I love God like I should and hate sin like I should. When I yearn for God like He deserves and yearn for vanities and frivolities like they deserve, which is to say not at all. I long for that day. But in the meanwhile, in the meanwhile, we struggle. So what's the prospective looking forward? As saved, unglorified sinners, our emotions at times will help us, and our emotions at times will hinder us, but the upshot is they cannot be trusted blindly. We are fools to trust our emotions blindly. We are fools to think that just because we feel something deeply, it must be true and it must be right. We're fools to think that, and yet we do. But this is just what we're learning we must not do. So what, we, what do we do with our emotions? Well, we do with them the, the same thing we do with everything else. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, I'll read to you. Uh, Paul, what Paul is going to do for the Corinthians, we must do for ourselves. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. As we tear down speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Well, what Paul said he would do in the Corinthians, we must do to ourselves. Take every thought and every emotion captive to the obedience of Christ. Simple? In a way. So, on three. One, 
to, well, let's talk about how to do that. And that's exactly what we're doing today. We're talking about how to do it, and I'm going to break it down in a simple four-point outline, and I say again, it's the outline that's simple. (laughs) The doing, don't think I think it's simple. Don't think the pastor is nuts. He lives in a different world. This is not easy. Oh, no. The pastor lives in the exact same world you do, and he knows it's not easy. But it is simple. And we've got to keep our eyes, I mean, just because driving to a location is complicated doesn't mean that we just forget the getting there. It's complicated. If we want to get there, then we've got to do the drive. So, first point. And always, when confronted with our emotions, we must reflect. Number one, we must reflect. Which is to say we need to analyze them objectively. We need to size them up. We need to assess them and think about them. Not just feel them, not just follow them, but think about them. What is it that's going on? And first I say, reflect on your emotion. Letter A, reflect on your emotion. And just to reflect for a while, (laughs) to reflect on this reflection, um, this is humanity's unique gift. As far as I know, no other creature has this ability. You know, your, your, your dog does not look out the window and say, why does the sight of this mailman fill me with such rage? You know, or the dog does not say, what is the attraction of the fire hydrant? Why do I chase cars? What would I do with one if I ever caught one? What is this desire, this fat? And, and your cat doesn't say, you know, they, they treat me so well and this furniture is so nice. Why do I want to shred it? What is this desire of mine? Is it a good desire? Is it a bad desire? Yes, I could knock that off the table, but why do I even want to do that? You know, they don't think that way. They just, they act by instinct. They're hardwired to act in certain ways. They see what they feel like they need to do, and they just do that. We alone have the ability to ask ourselves, as far as I know, we alone have the ability to ask ourselves, why do I feel this? Is it good that I feel this? Is this feeling leading me in a good direction or a bad direction? Should I, should I fight this feeling or should I follow this feeling? And I say we alone have this ability, but I dare say that in a great many people it is sitting on the shelf covered with dust and untouched uh, because a great many people are, are, are conditioned to believe, well, if you feel it strongly enough, you absolutely should do it. Absolutely. Follow your heart. Goodness gracious, there is no better thing to do. And of course, we know as Christians, uh, yes, there's no worse thing to do as a matter of fact. So I want to say still about this, don't fool yourself into thinking that your emotions don't affect you. Uh, Our emotions affect all of us. There is no human being who's not affected by his emotions. A number of scriptures warn against this. Uh, For instance, Proverbs 29, 22 says, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. So a man of wrath, that is a man who feels and indulges his wrath, causes much transgression. His wrath leads him to do sinful, bad things and cause strife. James reflects on this in James 1, verses 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, it starts with a desire which is not filtered and judged by God's word, but is followed through and followed through to death. 
We saw, reminded ourselves, this is what Eve did. She did what she did because it felt right. She did not apply God's word to it. She applied her own judgment to it. So we must ask ourselves, what is it that you're feeling? Not what should you be feeling, not do, what do you wish you were feeling, but what is it that you're feeling? And I, and, and I remind you, there is no such a person as people who don't feel anything. And indeed, the most insufferable people in the world tend to be those who think that they don't feel anything. They think that everything they do is rational and logical and just because it's the right thing to do. These tend to be proud, angry, self-indulgent people who are feeling a whole lot, but they're just lying to themselves about it. Uh, Proverbs four, at 14.10 says, the heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. So we should be able to tell what it is we're feeling. The heart knows its own bitterness, but at the same time we have to remind ourselves that the heart is a deceiver and even we can fool ourselves. We can think that we're feeling something noble and good and right, and it's not. And that's why the book of Proverbs also cautions us how important it is to listen to counsel and to surround ourselves with wise counsel and to heed it and submit to it. So first, reflect on your emotions. Second, reflect on your situation by asking two questions. Asking two questions to help you reflect on your situation. The first question is, what is provoking these emotions? Why am I feeling what I'm feeling? What's causing this? It can be easy, you know, if, if, you're, if you lost your job or your child's sick, it's very easy to tell why you're feeling what you're feeling, or sometimes it's hard to identify, and the co- because the causes can be many. There are many possibilities. Uh, often, you know, we are spirits living in bodies, and so often our bodies cause feelings, and we don't know why. If we're run down, if the glands aren't working right, the hormones aren't flowing right, then they very much affect our emotion. Uh, one thing I've dealt with in my recovery, which is still going on, is I'll have periods of just being weepy. The other day, I had a pretty good day at the office, came home, and, and I just, I sat down and I started sobbing. And I, Valerie, what happened? I said, no, nothing happened. I don't even know how to explain it. Well, probably mostly it's just because I'm, I'm trying to push the best I can, and sometimes I push a little hard, and the body's just not up with it. So... I mean, there can be physical causes. Might as well be honest about that. Need to be self-aware about that. But they can also be external. Like I've said, emotions respond to many things. So what's provoking these emotions? And the second and all-important question is, are my emotions reasonable? Letter A, are they reasonable? That is to say, are they caused by something real? Is my emotion in proportion to that? So I'm speaking of my recovery, uh, I have to sit down for a bit, um, and I'm just fine. Don't worry about me. It's just still working through some stuff. So, um, is my emotion is my emotion reasonable? So, I might have an objective cause, but I might be far more worried about it than I should. I, I have to ask myself questions like, well, what's the worst that could happen? What, how how massive would it be if people made fun of me because I admitted that I was a Christian? Would I be able to survive that? Yeah, indeed, I would. Um, So size them up, assess them, and see what it is that, are they, uh, is there a reasonable cause, or is it a silly cause, or is it a non-existent cause? Am I jumping at shadows? Am I keeping from doing good things because of imaginary bad things? Again, this is something that animals can't ask themselves, but God's given us the ability, and that's part of simply applying wisdom to our lives. Are my emotions reasonable? And then here is a very important question. 
Are my emotions righteous? Are my emotions righteous? Now again, to a great many, this isn't even a question they ask. Why? Because if I feel it, it must be right. It can't be wrong if it feels so right. I'm quoting a song that before many of you were born, sung by a Christian singer that really amazed me at the time. It can't be wrong when it feels so right. It totally can be wrong (laughs) if it feels right because we're broken people in a broken world. And so it's absolutely essential to ask, I'm feeling a strong feeling, yes, but is it leading me to glorify God or to disobey God? Is it leading me to grow in my faith and practice of God's word or is is it calling me to to defy God in some way and to indulge my flesh in some way. Um, It's not remotely true to think that just because we feel something, it's right. Proverbs 12, 15. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of an ignorant fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. That's the Legacy Standard Bible. The way of an ignorant fool is right in, in his own eyes. The way, his choices, his way of making choices, his way of living, of course it's right to him. Of course it's the right thing. How could he think something that's wrong? That's a fool's thinking, Solomon tells us, but it's, it's our natural thinking if we don't challenge it. Proverbs 16.2, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. In Proverbs 21.2, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So remember that we all tend to justify ourselves, and I think uh, for my, my own part, I think this is the most frightening human ability, the ability we have to rationalize just about anything. And as I've reminded you many times, Adolf Hitler did not wake up every morning thinking I'm a bad, bad man. Bin Laden didn't wake up every morning thinking, well, you know, God really just should smash me. I'm an evil man. I'm an evil man. Nobody thinks that. They're all the, we're all the heroes of our own stories. And that's why we so need the word of God, the truth of God, to help to, to put up a mirror that helps us look at ourselves, enables us to look at ourselves and our feelings in a righteous way. So are they reasonable and are they righteous? And I, now an excursus, and I use the word excursus partly so that you can pride yourselves as being probably the only people in any church anywhere who have that word in your, in your outline today, so go home and pat yourself on the back for that. But an excursus meaning I just want to talk about this for a while. So let's think about this together a little bit. I want you to reflect on just how critical it is that you and I, all of us, must suspect and test our emotions. Don't just believe them because they throw their arms around your shoulders and assure them that they have your best interest in mind. All our best men or en- all our worst enemies would say that. We need to suspect and test our emotions. And when we uncritically follow our emotions, we will be misled. Not maybe, we will be if we uncritically follow our emotions because they come through our flesh and our flesh still has remaining corruption. So uh, remember, again, Eve did what she did because it felt like the right thing. She followed her heart. She desired it to be made wise. She couldn't think of any reason not to do it besides what God said, but you know, (laughs) you know, I feel it's the right thing to do. And so she reached for it as the right thing to do and ate it, and we know what happened after that. I've I've noticed... um, In women, I'm going to say something about women, something about men, and let me say before I say it, I don't mean only women, and I don't mean only men, 
and it's just my, my experience. But I've, I, women are more gifted than men in being intuitive, in being sensitive to emotion, by and large. That's, that's a part of their nature. It's part of how God equipped them for the role that he created them for. And uh, often superior to men in that way, in a wonderful way. But when that natural sensitivity is elevated to canonical status, as if it were the word of God, and left unchecked in a woman who is sure that her every intuition and her every feeling is right, boy, watch out. And I have seen this. You watch out. First of all, the woman more and more will isolate herself because anyone who questions this at all becomes the enemy. So a woman feels she has, feels God has given her some gift, some mission from God, not in the Word of God, but she feels it, or she, she feels she sees things nobody else sees, and if anyone tries to be that friend Proverbs talks about and, and gives some counsel, that friend that Hebrews talks about, gives some rebuke, well, then that person is, is the enemy because that person's just not seeing what I see. That person just didn't have my gift that I am sure, I feel absolutely sure that I'm absolutely right about. And, and this just leads to a sad, sad, increasing, painted into a quarter isolation and harmful decisions and harmful behavior. I, I think of someone I know in, in social media, nobody here knows, uh, different state and, and all, who, who has a, a particular mission in mind about, about COVID, certain ideas about COVID like a mission from God and has alienated godly people and wise people because of the strong feeling that this is just the most important thing. Where does the word of God talk about that? Where does the word of God say that that's a mission? What, what sort of thing does the word of God say is a, a woman's mission? Well, to um, fear God and learn his word, to respect and honor her husband and, and support him, to be involved in a local church. What, are you doing those things? I find that usually when I'm so busy with the things God says I'm supposed to do, these kind of side missions, you know, they become a little less important. In fact, sometimes they become a lot less important. But that's, that's the, the weakness of that. And so the need there is to remember we're all under the word of God and all of us is under the word of God. Do you know what I mean by that? Men, men and women alike, we're under the word of God and everything that makes us who we are is under the word of God. Nothing has canonical status. You know what that means? Canonical status, regarded as the word of God. Only this is the word of God. Nothing that comes from me is the word of God, except when I'm reading the word of God out loud. Then that's, that's canonical. But otherwise, no. And what about men then? Well, men are built to lead, to provide, to protect. But the man who imagines that he's just rational that emotion never, never comes into his thoughts, that he's just about the facts. A man like that will often act from petty anger, he'll, he'll, self-indulgence, jealousy, pride, but he feels that he's above criticism because he's convinced himself that his emotions don't, don't really influence him. And he's totally influenced by his emotions by his selfishness, by his self-regard, by, and, and you see in someone like that often a disregard for other people's well-being or care or, or, uh, or health in the Lord, happiness, because they're so locked into their own way. And that's just, that's a trap too. That's a terrible thing. What does the word of God say? 
to that man, it says exactly what it says to everyone else, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, forbearance. That's all of us. And so our thoughts and our behavior and our choices must be brought under the Word of God and lived by the Spirit of God. So here's the question we need to ask ourselves about our emotions. Is this emotion leading me in the way of faith and obedience to the Word of God, not my ideas about what I think God would like, but what the Word of God says? Boy, I hope you see the difference. That's all the difference. What the Word of God actually says are my feelings leading me to live that out and to honor that and to follow that. Well, then they're godly emotions. And you should follow them. If I have the feeling, if suddenly I feel like I ought to pray, well, if there's not something else demanding my whole intention, I should do that because the Word of God calls me to pray without ceasing. If I see someone and, and I, he just looks so sad and I just feel like I ought to try to talk to him about Jesus, follow that feeling. That is a completely scriptural feeling. And on and on. But, but still, you apply the Word of God to these things. A, a wife, she feels like she could do something to show her husband how much she appreciates him and respects him and how much of her confidence she has. Do that. That's a godly thing to want to do. A husband thinks of some way he could show his wife how precious she is to him, how, how he loves her, how he'd never leave her, how he wants her to be protected and safe and treasured and know how much he treasures. That's a godly feeling, brother. Do that thing. <laughs> Follow that. That's, that's good. You, want to, you feel like you should just praise God. You should glorify Him. You should just drop what you're doing if you're able to do it, not like driving in the Houston traffic, and you just want to worship God and thank Him for His... Well, do that. That is a godly thing to do. But there's a whole lot of other feelings that need to be put up to the, to the, uh, the mesh, the grid, and they won't be. Uh, a wife hears her husband telling her something she doesn't like, and she just thinks, I should just shut him up, and I know exactly how to shut him up. And I so want to do that, because I don't want to hear anything he's saying. All right, well, are those your emotions? Yep. You feel them strongly? Yes, you do. Are they righteous? No. How do you know? The Word of God says to respect your husband, to subordinate yourself to him from the heart as to the Lord. Is that that? Is, is shutting your husband up? Is making him regret talking to you and trying to lead you? Is, is that godly? No. A husband doesn't like the way his wife is dealing with him or feels that she's disrespected him and he thinks, I've got to punish her. I'll show her. Well, do you feel that? You feel it strongly? Is that a righteous feeling? No. No. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself for her. What does that mean? He died. All the way dead. Are you dead yet? No, then you haven't done it all the way yet. You give yourself for your wife. You don't punish her. You don't, you don't pay her back. You don't do that. That's not a righteous feeling. See what I'm saying? Oh, okay, thank you. I can move on now. I was getting ready to get comfortable here. Uh, because there's no point if, if you don't see what I'm saying. Feelings need to be run through the grid of Scripture. They're not righteous just because we feel them. Next, number two. Oh, dear, just number two. I better talk faster. You better listen faster. So first, we reflect. Secondly, we recall. And what do you figure we should recall? Well, basically, it has to do with Scripture. <laughs> we should recall Scripture. And this is... This is a big Bible theme. We as a church have seen this again and again. 
How many exhortations are there to remember and, and to hold in mind and to keep in our heart what God's Word says? So many. And how many warnings against forgetting and the perils and the disaster that will follow when we forget? Well, this is that. This is the time to do that. So firstly, recall a specific Scripture to test and assess our emotions. I just did that, for instance, in my mock-up about the wife and the husband. I, I just did that, didn't I? I brought a specific Scripture to bear on that emotional response. And so that's what I'm talking about. This is so important, and I, and I want to stress to you, this isn't magic. The Holy Spirit won't do this for you, or He doesn't promise to at any rate. It's something He calls us to do. You remember. The Holy Spirit never says, I'll remember for you. You just sit there and watch TV. No, no. I'm told to remember. And so I've got to recall Scripture. And, and if I'm to recall Scripture, what do I have to do first to be able to do that? Yeah, I've got to read and I've got to put it in my brainium. I've got to store it in my heart where I, where I have it to recall. So, are feelings holding us back from obedience or are they, are they pushing us forth to sin? That, that's the danger. That feelings, we know we should do something. We know we should take a step to move ahead in the Lord. And I see, I've seen so many people just just deadlocked, just vapor-locked in their Christian life, and often simply by fear. And I don't know how they don't know it, and I don't know how they don't see that they need to repent and move ahead. But feeling of fear is keeping them back from obedience, or a feeling is pushing forward to disobedience. That's what emotions can do. And our great and our besetting folly as professed Christians is that we believe our feelings and disbelieve God's Word. Because our feelings are so vivid and right there, and in those situations, God's Word can feel so out there. But you see, that's what faith is supposed to do. Faith takes that out there and puts it in here. Where did I get that idea? Mm, I got the idea from this verse that says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. Faith takes this out there and puts it in here where it makes a difference. So, uh, we need to disbelieve our feelings and believe God's Word. That's what we need to learn to do. We need to say sometimes to our feelings, you're lying to me. You are lying to me. You're telling me that treating my husband this way is the way to happiness and fulfillment. You are lying to me. You're telling me to treat my wife this way is the way to be a real man. You are lying to me. You're telling me that this is the, the independent, strong way to think about church or to think about God or to think about, about uh, discipleship. You are lying to me. And you don't have my best interests in heart. God never lies, and God has my very best interests in heart. So, uh, there's the principle. We need to remember specific scripture. A child is... is told to do something by his parents. He doesn't want to do it. And so he feels resentful. And he feels like making them regret that. And he feels like making it really hard to be his mom or his dad right now. To make it not a pleasure. I, I don't want you glad that you told me to do this. I want you to regret this. Well, do you feel that? Yeah, you do. Is it a strong feeling? Yeah, it is. Is it a righteous feeling? No, it's not. How do you know that? Scripture says, honor your father and mother. Scripture says, children obey your parents. Feelings are lying to you. Your parent reproves you. 
you don't like it. You want to pay him back for it. Is that a strong feeling? Yep. Is it a righteous feeling? No. How do you know? Well, I don't know. Have you ever read, have you read Proverbs? <laughs> have you ever read Proverbs? Uh, starting with the first chapter, going on to the end. All about how important it is to listen to our parents and learn from their wisdom. No, it's not a righteous feeling. Your feelings are lying to you. Make your parents glad that they are trying to raise you in the admonition and fear of the Lord. Amen? Hear a bunch of grown-up amens. That's fine. That's fine. So, recall specific scripture. And isn't it sad, though, that some of these things you only see really clearly when you become a parent? I wonder how many of you are like me. You wish you'd go back and do it over again because you just see what a pain you were to your parents. I wish I could. Letter B, scriptural truths. Now, let me explain what I mean by this. A, specific scripture. B, scriptural truths. Now, there will be, usually there is a specific scripture that applies to your specific situation. Are, I'm asking real questions. Are there Bible verses about being a godly husband? Yes. Godly wife? Yes. Godly child? Yes. Godly church member? Yes. I can go on and on and on. But in some areas, not only that, we should remember scriptural truths. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, it, it, it builds on the knowledge of specific scripture, but it takes the teachings of scripture and applies the, the truths that scripture teaches about God and his relationship to us. Like, for instance, are there specific verses about anxiety? Yes, there are. Can I add to those specific verses about anxiety by remembering truths that scripture speaks that maybe don't have the word anxiety in them? What do I mean? Oh, thank you. Yes. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. So like what? Well, like, I, like the, om, the omnipotence of God. I'm worried about what might happen, and I have a God who can do anything he pleases to do. Like the wisdom of God. I'm worried about what's going to happen, but I've got a God who is literally the definition of wisdom, who, and then I remember the sovereignty of God, is planning every step of my life. And not just is planning, that's really a misstatement. Has planned from eternity past, before he even made a world, he mapped my life out and provided for everything I would need in my life. But that's what scripture teaches. Does that truth have a bearing on anxiety? Yes, it does, and it should be in the sermon that we preach to ourselves when we're anxious, when we're worried. What about anger? Well, of course, are there verses about anger? Yes, there are. But are there verses that bear on anger? Verses about our own sin and depravity and what we deserve from God? We're, we're mad at somebody who deserves something from us. Well, do you deserve something from God? I deserve something from God. Is it a good thing? No. <laughs> no, 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 apart from Christ. No, it's, it's not. So should I go that way? Well, well why not? What, is, what does Scripture say about this person I'm so angry about and want to punish? He's created in the image of God, just like me. What does Scripture say about that? I should honor the image of God and that person, whoever he is. Do you see what I'm saying? So not, there are specific scriptures, but there's larger truths of scripture that feed through those specific scriptures or that apply if we can't think of a specific scripture. Am I apathetic toward church? I'm, I'm, happy, not, I'm happy to come and take, but I, I don't want to be a member. I don't want to be under the discipline. I don't want to commit myself to the service of church. Are there, what would you think about to counter that? What sorts of scriptural truths would you think about to counter that? Well, like the doctrine of the church, how about? Just the doctrine of the church itself. That Jesus conceived of it. That he said he would build it. That Revelation says, what, where is he now? He's walking among the churches, the local churches. That Jesus gave pastors to local churches to 
lead in the discipline and instruction of the people in those churches who have submitted themselves to that discipline and on and on. And now my, my apathy is challenged and seemed to be sinful. That, that I'm, I'm sinful in choosing to go on in apathy and indifference and leaving the work of service to other people when I could be myself involved in the work of service. And I, I see needs and gaps and holes that perhaps I could fill, but I just don't care to. Or I'm held back by fear or whatever it is. But, but all these emotions, you put them before the, the bar of Scripture and they don't look so pretty anymore. They feel fine. But then when I bring them to Scripture, they don't look so pretty. Just like, you know, you turn the light on and, oh, there's the cockroaches. I didn't see them before the light was on. Now I see them. And that's what Scripture does to us. How am I doing? Better talk. Better, better move on. So recall specific Scripture. Recall scriptural truth. I, I just, I mean, I'll just share with it. This process of recovery from this surgery is, has been very grueling. And, and this is something that I've, I've had to do again and again to, to great help. And, and, and just so, you know, you get, you get tied up in, in physical pain. You get tied up in anxiety about how long will that last? What does this mean? What does the future hold? You get into these things and it just, you know, just centimeter by centimeter. And then suddenly you're just in a, every fisherman knows what a bird's nest is. Amen. What's a bird's nest? It's when your reel just goes nuts and there's just this tangle of nylon and there's no way to get, and you're in that tangle. And what, what's the only thing that can bring you out of that? You recall Scripture and apply it. And, and you remember that um, all things work together for good for those who love God. You remember that like as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on us. You remember... My time, I, 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 I trust in Yahweh. I've said, you are my God. My times are in your hands. And on and on. And you just bring these scriptures and these truths to bear. And in my case, literally, I just, most times I just go, and just feel that bird's nest resolving. Well, it didn't do itself. I needed to recall scripture, like God says we should do. And that applies to any situation in life where our emotions are tangling us up and not helping us. But we need scriptural truth recalled and applied to help us, you see. Third, reply. Reflect, recall, reply. Which is to say, I reply to myself with scripture. And again, this is something that I alone can do, you alone can do. No animal, as far as I know, no plant has the ability to do this. This is part of the image of God. That we can, as it were, put ourselves outside of ourselves and preach to ourselves. Your dog won't do that. After all they've done for me, am I really going to tear that pillow up? Yes. <laughs> well, no, dogs don't think that way. They, they don't objectify themselves, but that's our ability. And it's what we need to do. So A, reprove and rebuke as needed. Reprove and rebuke, that's what a pastor is supposed to do. Yep, a pastor is supposed to do for you what all of us need to be doing for ourselves. <laughs> and, and by the way, if we were to do this uh, for ourselves, we would resent it less when the pastor does it because we've already been doing it. But I digress. Uh, we reprove and rebuke as needed. What's the principle here? The principle is Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23. Is that a memory verse that's worth memorizing? Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. 
Guard your heart. Keep watch over your heart. Literally, the Hebrew says, more than you guard anything, guard your heart. More than you watch anything, watch your heart. Like, like, a, like a, a, a one-eyed cat watching two mouse holes, you know? Watch your heart with all diligence because the springs of life flow from it. Where your heart is, that's where you're going to live. You live out of where your heart is at. So you and I need to watch our hearts. There is a constant dialogue going on in our heads, you know, and sometimes you wish you could shut it up, but that's not doable. There's a constant dialogue, and then when we fall asleep, it continues in our dreams, so there's no shutting it up. But if I'm passive to this dialogue, then I'm going to go off the rails because the dialogue won't take me in the right direction. The flesh won't take me in the right direction. I can't be passive to it. I shouldn't just always listen to the sermon I'm preaching to myself. Sometimes I need to take a hold of that sermon and compose it and preach it mentally, consciously to myself. Where can we see this? The practice, we see it in Psalms 42 and 43. So you can take a quick look there, but I, I commend it to you for your own closer look. We read Psalm 42. In this case, he finds himself in a situation that he's thirsting for God. He's far from the worship of God. He's weeping. People are saying to him, where's your God? And the memory of these things at this point is even bitterer because he's not where he used to be. But then look at what he does. Verse 6, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Who is saying this to him? He is. He is challenging himself. He is objectifying himself and saying to himself, why are you so cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And then he exhorts himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and the help of my countenance. And then he does it again. In verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And Psalm 43 is like the second part of the same song because you see it again. Verse 5, Psalm 43. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This is, this is what all of us need to do to ourselves with God's truth. As needed. This person is despondent. And so he says, this isn't going to be forever. Do you know, have you ever thought this through? It's true. If you are a Christian, every sorrow and every pain you feel is what? Temporary. Every one of them is temporary. And every joy and pleasure that you feel is just a taste of what forever is going to be. And sadly for you who hear of Christ again and again and you just don't do anything about Him, it's the opposite for you. Every good thing you experience, unless you repent and trust in Christ, it's all temporary. And every pain and fear and dread and guilt that you feel, that's just a taste of what's coming if you don't repent and trust in Christ. But again, this is something I've, I've practiced in the time post-surgery, in time of going through hours of pain that I would just have to say is, would be a 10. They ask you, what's this pain on the scale of 1 to 10? There was one day in particular, the one that ended up in my trip to the ER in an ambulance where I was hours at 10. And what did I cling to in that time? This will pass. This will pass. Either God is going to heal it in this life or I'm going to be in Jesus' presence. But it will pass. 
We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And we don't fear because he's with us as we do. And we, also, and we don't despair because why? We're walking through. Where do we end up? Where does that psalm end? In the house of the Lord forever and ever. That's where we're going. Everything bad is temporary. Oh, but when you feel it, what does it feel like? <laughs> forever. It feels like it'll never end. And Christian, that's when you and I need to get out of us. And, and, and this applies, I, I, I've talked about pain, but it applies to troubles in marriage and family and job and health. Any woe we feel is temporary as Christians. And so we need to preach to ourselves. Bring some good Bible verse. Pick a good text. Preach a good sermon. And call yourself to hope in the Lord according to God's. You know, here's the point. That's the practice. Here's the point. Our feelings are like antsy, antsy, ill-disciplined children dancing around, interrupting a conversation, plucking on our sleeves, saying, Mom, 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 Dad, Dad, Dad. That's what our feelings are. They're always dancing around foot to foot, plucking at our sleeves, uh, calling on us from whatever we're doing to, to pay attention to them and their very important need right now. We had a policy when we had small children if we were on the phone. If a child would come see us on the phone and interrupt us, we would say, is something bleeding or on fire? And if they said no, we'd say, then go wait in the corner until I'm done. That discouraged the practice. And what I say about that is what we should say to our feelings. When they pluck at our sleeves and they want to lie to us and lead us away from keeping our eyes on the Lord, we need to tell them to stand in the corner until we come get them out. And just shut up. I'm, not, I'm going to listen to God's word and not you. You see? Do you see? Oh, thank you. So reprove and rebuke as needed and exhort as needed. The principle is in Romans 8, verses 5, 9, and 13. Of course, I want to teach the whole chapter, but we'll just look at those verses. Romans 8, 5, 9, and 13. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. I'd probably translate, have a mindset of the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have a mindset of the things of the Spirit. That is, the flesh controls your attitude or the Spirit controls your attitude. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So I'm not in the flesh, I'm in the Spirit. I should have a mindset produced by the Spirit. And now verse 13, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. My, 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 there's a whole huge book in just that verse. But look how what dense truth is, com is conveyed in that verse. If you live according to the flesh, very literally, you're about to die. Death is certain. But I'm not in the flesh, Paul says, if, if I'm in Christ, I'm in the Spirit. So he says, now look at this, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I can't do it, but I must do it, and by the Spirit I can do it. I can't do it by myself. But by the Spirit, I can do it. But the Spirit won't do it for me. Who must do it? I must do it. 
how can I ever do that by the Spirit? Still it is I who am to put the, des- the, the deeds of the, of the body, the practices of the body. How does that apply to what I'm talking about? The emotions that want to take me captive. The emotions that are ruling my life and making it unproductive and fruitless and, and no, no testimony to the grace of God at all or the glory of God at all. And what do I do? I need to put those to death. I need to stand them in the corner. I need to put them to death. I need to put them to death and replace them with God's truth. The Holy Spirit is not our puppeteer while we're limp and passive waiting for Him to move the strings. At the same point, we're also not off strings. Strings, I don't, that's not a good analogy. We're not able in ourselves. We need the life of the Holy Spirit in us to enable us to do these things. And the Spirit is in our minds, setting our mindset so that we can put to death the deeds of the body and walk in the Spirit. The practice, my illustration is Nehemiah 6. Now, we don't have the time to, to read all of it. I commend you to read Nehemiah 6 and look at it. I'm just going to look at one thing from it. In the, such, in the situation of Nehemiah 6, Nehemiah is leading. Jerusalem has been driven out to pagan lands, but now the time has come, foretold by Jeremiah, that they would return and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls which pleases the enemies of God, not at all. And they oppose it and they try to stop it. And one of the ways they try to oppose it is by disheartening Nehemiah and all his people and by scaring him. And chapter 6 is a very interesting read of all the ways that they try to scare him. But I want you to focus on what they're trying to do is get him to feel fear and follow his fear. He has the word of God. He knows what God wants him to do, what he should do, what he needs to do. But they're trying to get him not to do that. And their force for getting him off of that is fear. If they can just get him to be dominated by fear, then he'll stop doing what God wants him to do and start doing what they want him to do. If that emotion can just dominate him. And so they try angle after angle to try to do that. And he sees it. And he knows what they're doing. And he says several times this is exactly what they're doing. So read the, read the chapter. It's very instructive. One verse I want to show you at is after he's just talked about what their last uh, tactic was, his response in verse 11 is, should such a man as I run away? Boy, there's a lesson here for Christians. So often we, we lose our way because we forget who we are in Christ. We forget our whole identity in Christ, what it is to be in Christ, what it means to be a Christian, a new creation in Christ. Well, he doesn't even know all that. But just knowing who God made him to be and what God, uh, God's word says, he says, should such a man as I run away? And what, what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. He wanted to go hide. And so then verse 12, and I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat, his enemies, had hired him. Now verse 13 is the one to look at. For this purpose he was hired, look, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. Those three phrases, be afraid, act accordingly. In other words, act out of what? Out of fear and sin. So to be dominated by fear would lead him to sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And then he prays about it. God would remember them. So there, there is a picture of the practice. We need to... Remember Scripture and exhort ourselves 
encourage ourselves, bring Scripture to bear, to urge us to go on in the service and, and, and glorification of God. Finally, number four, rely. We need to uh, reflect, recall. We need, uh, I've lost my own place. We need to reflect. We need to um, recall. We need to reply. Reflect, recall, reply, and then finally rely. Rely on what Scripture says. Place our full weight on it. We need to rely on it personally because the way we know, the way we know peace, hope, joy, love is not just by knowing about God's Word, but by leaning on God's Word, by resting on God's Word, by trusting in what God's Word teaches us. A couple of verses, Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How do I stay my mind on God? By learning what Scripture teaches me about him. How do I trust him? By learning what Scripture says he promises me and says I can bank on. So I learn Scripture and I take Scripture and I stay my mind, I lean my mind on God uh, and... um, I trust in God. And in that, in that God guards me in peace. Second Isaiah 50.10 Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of His servant who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and let him rely on his God. I am in a dark place. I have no, no light. The situation is difficult. But Trust in the name of the Lord and lean. That's what that word rely means. Lean your full weight on God. And what does that mean? Just a mystical notion about what I think God is? No. It means who God says He is in Scripture. That His loving kindness is forever. That He crowns my years with goodness. That He loves me with an everlasting love. And on and on what Scripture says. That, the truth of Scripture. Take it to the bank. Lean on it. Rely on it personally and let her be rely on it practically. Which is to say, do it. What Scripture calls you to do, do it. Now, I want to talk, I'll talk more about this next week, Lord willing, but, but I want to open this now. This is where the authority of God's Word shows itself practically in my life. There's a, a theologian named John Frame wrote an excellent book called The Doctrine of the Word of God. And in it, he talks about the authority of language. And the authority of language, he says, is the capacity to create an obligation in the hearer. Now just think with, this, with me about this for a second. The capacity to create an obligation in the hearer. So I tell you something, and as I tell you, I'm obliging you to believe what I'm telling you. Now, if my authority is limited, your obligation is limited. If I'm capable of lying, then what's your obligation to believe me? Limited. You know, you want to give me the benefit of the doubt, but you always reserve the... The, the right to test out what I say because I'm of limited authority. I, I, I might be telling you an untruth. Ah, but what if the person speaking has unlimited authority? Then what's the capacity for creating obligation? Unlimited. So when God speaks, what he says to us creates on our part an unlimited obligation to respond to what he says. Do, do you follow what I'm saying? He speaks with absolute authority. And so, uh, let me read what he says. God's language is authoritative not only in telling us what to believe 
and do, but in directing our emotions and preoccupations, our priorities, our joys and sorrows. That is to say, God's words are authoritative in all the ways that language can be authoritative, and their authority is ultimate. That's a great statement. So, yes, we, we, we say, Scripture says there's one God, and we say, amen, I bow my knee to that, there's just one God. And Scripture says you need to believe in the Lord Jesus to be saved. And we say, amen, I believe in the Lord Jesus. And Scripture says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. And we say, uh, always? <laughs> like, now? Like, you know, with my husband being the way he is, my job being the way he is, these kids, <laughs> this house, this car, rejoice in the Lord always? Well, but... This comes from a source with absolute authority. And he says that, yeah, there is a reason why I should be able to rejoice in the Lord always. And I can always know peace. And I can always know hope. Because the word says that. And so do you see, as I, as I mentioned, was it last week, it's possible to be doctrinally orthodox, straight in line with the word of God, but emotionally heretical. Because yeah, I believe everything the Bible says, except when it comes to my situation. My situation, I am racked with fear and anxiety and grief and despair. I have no reason to hope. Is that what the Word of God says, though? No, it's not. So I, I shouldn't think that I'm really, really lining up with the Word of God if I just believe all the doctrinal truths, but everything else I don't think really applies to me. See, that, that's being a practical liberal and while being a theoretical fundamentalist. Do, do you see what I'm saying? So that's what it means practically. So scripture calls me to, to fire up my praise and my worship, my, my love and my service. I need to do that. Scripture calls, me, scripture calls me to defy my emotions. I need to do that. To call them liars and turn a different way. I need to do that. But either way, what needs to rule is God's word and not my emotions. And the whole point of all this was to show the need to do that and the way to do that. The way practically to live and bring my emotions under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So the path of doing this is to reflect on my emotions in the light of God's word and its bearing on my emotions. To reflect and to recall God's word and reply it to, uh, apply it to my emotions, to reflect, to recall, and to reply to myself in terms of God's word, approving myself, rebuking myself, exhorting myself as needed, to reflect, to recall, to reply, and finally, to rely on God's word, embracing it for all its worth in what it calls me to do and think and the feelings it calls me follow and to reject amen let's pray heavenly father we thank you for this your word and we remind ourselves that scripture says the word of god is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword that it is a judge of the thoughts and intents of the heart piercing where nothing else can pierce and your word has just done that for us Help us, O oh God, not to be forgetful hearers, but doers of the word, holding it in our hearts and putting it into practice in our lives. And we won't do this perfectly, 
and we will need and count on your patience and forbearance, but do help us to do it, to remember and to apply to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.